0: Welcome to the election ride home for Wednesday, January 8th, 2020. I'm your host, Glenn Fleischman, with a summary of election news. Today, Super Bowl 54 will sport two expensive presidential ads. A Facebook exec warns colleagues to not tip the scale against Trump. Two Democratic senators call for the articles of impeachment to be sent over by the House, but Pelosi stands firm, even as McConnell says he won't budge. Tulsi Gabbard opens her first campaign office in New Hampshire... Duncan Hunter resigns from Congress prompting queries about what's to happen with his empty seat and voters fail a voting test in Michigan. Here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. The big matchup on Super Bowl LIV, that's 54 in Roman numerals, won't be between whichever two teams wind up on the field. Rather, It'll be big money versus big money, as the campaigns of Mike Bloomberg and Donald Trump have each dropped at least $10 million for 60-second-long Super Bowl ads that will run this February 4th. Bloomberg's spokesperson told the New York Times, The biggest point is getting under Trump's skin. By taking the fight to Trump, the ad is part of Mike's strategy of running a national campaign that focuses on states where the general election will be decided parts of the country that are often overlooked. Bloomberg has already spent over $170 million on advertising on TV and online, according to the New York Times. He has an uphill fight to gain recognition among voters, as he's best known in New York and in financial circles. A recent online photo identification test at the New York Times found 77% of people correctly identified him just by his picture, but those are New York Times readers. He can reach nearly 100 million viewers through the Super Bowl ad, potentially making it his introduction to a large swath of voters he needs to convince both in the primary stage and were he to win in order to flip states with key electoral votes. Bloomberg is currently polling between 5 and 6 percent, according to 538 and Real Clear Politics national averages. That's more than the margin of error behind Buttigieg, who is trailing far behind Biden, Sanders, and Warren nationally. But Bloomberg is also a couple points above the next tier, Yang and Klobuchar. A Facebook executive in a post made to the company's employee-facing pages credited Trump's campaign team with executing a digital advertising strategy on Facebook that contributed significantly to his election. In a December 30th post obtained by the New York Times, Andrew Bosworth said he is no fan of Trump and donated the maximum to Hillary Clinton's campaign. He doesn't mention current candidates at all. But he wrote... As tempting as it is to use the tools available to us to change the outcome, I am confident we must never do that or we will become that which we fear. If we change the outcomes without winning the minds of people who will be ruled, then we have a democracy in name only. If we limit what information people have access to and what they can say, then we have no democracy at all. But he also notes, So was Facebook responsible for Donald Trump getting elected? I think the answer is yes, but not for the reasons anyone thinks. He didn't get elected because of Russia or misinformation or Cambridge Analytica. He got elected because he ran the single best digital ad campaign I've ever seen from any advertiser. Bosworth was previously best known for another internal post from 2016, leaked in 2018 to BuzzFeed News, in which he wrote, The ugly truth is that we believe in connecting people so deeply that anything that allows us to connect more people more often is de facto good. But he noted at the time, maybe it costs a life by exposing someone to bullies. Maybe someone dies in a terrorist attack coordinated on our tools. In his latest memo, Bosworth, who was in charge of advertising at Facebook before and through the 2016 election cycle, maintains that most of the information about Facebook's role in that election was inaccurate, downplaying the value of Russian efforts and saying that most of the disinformation that occurred came from players who were trying to make money off division. Quote, People with no political interest whatsoever realized they could drive traffic to ad-laden websites by creating fake headlines and did so to make money, he wrote. He runs through the scandal around Cambridge Analytica, a firm that consulted for the 2016 Trump presidential campaign, and was co-founded by former Trump advisor Steve Bannon and right-wing cause funder Robert Mercer. Bosworth states, the tools they used didn't work, and the scale they used them at wasn't meaningful. Bosworth used a Lord of the Rings analogy in his post, starting out with, quote, as a committed liberal, I find myself desperately wanting to pull any lever at my disposal to avoid the same result. So what stays my hand? He compares the power Facebook has to sway elections, if it puts its hand on the scale, to the crisis faced by Galadriel, an elf queen in the Lord of the Rings series, who is offered the Ring of Power by Frodo. The Ring is corrupt by its nature and serves, truly, only its creator Sauron, but it's really tempting. Quote, she imagines using the power righteously at first, but knows it will eventually corrupt her, end quote. However, Bosworth's reading misses the obvious. Galadriel refused the Ring, and Frodo had to take it on that long journey, to throw it into a volcano to destroy it? Sorry, spoilers. If Facebook has the power within its grasp, is Bosworth accidentally arguing for that power to be taken away forever and presaging Facebook's future? As Galadriel says to Frodo of her kingdom, if the ring were destroyed, if you succeed, then our power is diminished and Lothlorien will fade and the tides of time will sweep it away. That may be a little too much on the nose. The Election Ride Home is brought to you by Mack Weldon. Mack Weldon uses premium fabrics paired with smart design and simple shopping. It will be the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants and more that you will ever wear. Their silver underwear and shirts eliminate odors while you're wearing them by relying on pure silver's natural antimicrobial properties. Mack Weldon's clothes are made of premium fabric, so they'll stand up to whatever you can throw at them, and they're also comfortable. Now, buying clothing via the internet can be a challenge for the right fit. However, Mack Weldon's size guide gives you all the measurements you need to make sure you're buying something that fits you. If it doesn't fit, or for any other reason, returns are free, always. And if you try out Mack Weldon, by buying a pair of underwear and you don't like it, you don't even have to send it back to get your refund. There are no questions asked. Order $50 or more, and the shipping is on them. For 20% off your first order, visit macweldon.com and enter promo code ELECTION. Once again, that's macweldon.com, promo code ELECTION to get 20% off your first order of great new clothing.
1: 2020, a new year. It's the perfect opportunity to take your business to the next level by hiring the right people. But finding qualified candidates can be challenging. ZipRecruiter.com begin makes it easy. ZipRecruiter sends your job to more than 100 of the web's leading job boards. But they don't stop there with their powerful matching technology. ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes and finds people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one, spotlighting the top candidates so you never miss a great match. It's so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com begin. That's ZipRecruiter.com B-E-G-I-N. ZipRecruiter.com begin. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire.
0: In today's impeachment update, two prominent Senate Democrats said Wednesday morning that it's time for House Speaker Nancy Pelosi to send over the articles of impeachment. These statements come from both the left and centrist wings of the party, but Pelosi appears firmly opposed for now. Senator Dianne Feinstein of California said, quote, if we're going to do it, she should send them over. I don't see what good delay does, according to Bloomberg News. A month ago, Feinstein told Politico, quote, impeachment is a huge issue and I don't think we should rush into it. We ought to find a way to wait until January, end quote. Well, it's January. Joe Manchin, one of West Virginia's senators, said to reporters, quote, now that we have John Bolton saying he wants to testify, she's accomplished something, end quote. A month ago, Manchin told CNN that he was torn on the matter of impeachment, but also said he would be willing to call Hunter Biden, Joe Biden's son who worked for a Ukrainian company and has been in the crosshairs of a right-wing conspiracy theory for some time. As you may recall from Chris's report yesterday, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said he has the majority of votes necessary to move ahead and establish the rules for the Senate trial. Pelosi has been keeping the articles of impeachment on hand, however, because the Senate cannot formally take them up until the House transmits them. As recently as Tuesday night, Pelosi still maintained this position, telling a closed-door meeting of Democrats that she will until she knows what rules McConnell plans to set, according to the Washington Post. In a letter she sent earlier Tuesday to Democrats, Pelosi wrote, quote, Sadly, Leader McConnell has made clear that his loyalty is to the president and not the Constitution. Leader McConnell has insisted that the approach under consideration is identical to those of the Clinton trial and that fair is fair. This is simply not true. This process is not only unfair, but designed to deprive senators and the American people of crucial documents and testimony. Under the Clinton trial, witnesses were deposed, end quote. On Wednesday, McConnell said on the Senate floor, There will be no haggling with the House over Senate procedure. We will not cede our authority to try this impeachment. The House's turn is over. The Senate has made its decision. While substantive constitutional and legal issues are at stake and must be resolved, both parties are also involved in a political wrangle about timing. Five of the Democratic candidates are sitting senators, Booker, Klobuchar, Sanders, and Warren, as well as Michael Bennett, who is polling negligibly. A lengthy trial, which could meet for many hours a day, six days a week, would take them off the campaign trail at a critical period. McConnell could use this to his advantage, although all indications are he wants a speedy trial and acquittal. Democrats, meanwhile, knowing that the supermajority required to find President Trump violated the Constitution is unlikely, could benefit from keeping the issue in the forefront for as long as possible up to the general election. The politicking doesn't lessen the severity of the charges even with a seeming certainty that Trump will get off in the Senate. The timing is such that merely scheduling the trial and factors determining how long it goes on could have a huge impact on all the candidates, even regardless of evidence presented. Whatever you think the odds are of Tulsi Gabbard winning the combination as the Democratic presidential candidate, she is not giving up. In a tweet this morning, her campaign's press assistant, Colin Tiernan, announced the opening of the Manchester, New Hampshire campaign office. From her tweet, in the back flashing a peace emoji sign, on the night war with Iran became hot, at Tulsi Gabbard's campaign opened our first office space in hashtag New Hampshire. The world is a crazy place, but I'm very thankful to be alive and here with all these amazing human beings. Hashtag Tulsi was right. On the ground operations are critical in early campaign states. And while it's late to start an office in New Hampshire, Gabbard still has measurable support in that state. The real clear politics and 538 polling averages both put her at about 4% in New Hampshire, though her national average is between 1 and 2%. That's in the pack and within margins of error with Klobuchar, Bloomberg, Steyer, Booker, and Yang, but far below Sanders, Biden, Warren, and Buttigieg. Gabbard has been widely seen as having the potential to stay in the race long enough to establish a national identity and then break from the pack for an independent presidential candidacy in which he would have the potential to peel off some of the rightmost Democratic voters as well as some independents. Republican Duncan Hunter said last night that he would resign on Monday from the House of Representatives, where he sits for California's 50th congressional district. Hunter pleaded guilty December 3rd to a felony charge based on allegations that he and his wife had misspent $150,000 of campaign funds. Margaret Hunter, his wife, pleaded guilty June 13th. Neither has yet been sentenced. They could each face up to five years in prison. Hunter continued to collect his salary, even though he was removed from committees and told he could not vote. This isn't election news, I hear you say through the two-way live podcast speakers. But here's the deal. Because he's resigning after the deadline to file for California primaries, the state governor, Democrat Gavin Newsom, has several choices. He has two weeks to call a special election. But because the deadline is passed to file for California's March primaries, Hunter's challengers from the Republican and Democratic side are already on the ballot. This includes Daryl Issa, previously a Republican House member from California's 49th District, and the Democrat who ran against Hunter in 2018, Amar Kampa-Najjar, and who lost by 10,000 votes, or about 3.5%. Hunter ran a vicious campaign against Kampa-Najjar, trading on Islamophobia, Kampa-Najjar practices the Christian faith, he says, and making the unfounded claim that the candidate had ties to the Muslim Brotherhood. Newsom could also leave the seat open until November, allowing the primary and general process to proceed. One of Hunter's anticipated key GOP opponents, Carl DeMaio, called for a special election, quote, the people of the 50th Congressional District deserve their voice in Congress to be restored. Leaving the 50th Congressional District vacant for a full year is wholly unacceptable, and I urge Governor Gavin Newsom to call a special election as soon as possible, end quote. The seat has been held by Republicans since 2000. While the Democrats currently have a significant majority in the House, the calculus is always changing and Newsom will certainly weigh the value in having a special election versus leaving an empty seat and whether the extra time without an incumbent would tip the scales towards a Democratic win. Hunter's seat previously had a special election called in 2006 after its then House member, Randy Duke Cunningham, pleaded guilty in late 2005 to bribery, wire fraud and other charges and then resigned. Is the seat haunted? It's too early to tell. And finally, voters fail a test in Michigan of, well, voting. There's been a lot of chatter about the insecurity of voting machines in the U.S., a country in which each election jurisdiction or state sources its own equipment by its own standards. It's a cherished part of the messy American democratic system that elections are local, and it's a way to resist vote manipulation when you have thousands of counties managing their own processes. Electronic-only voting systems have been viewed with suspicion, as they could be subject to invisible hacking that would change votes or even programming errors that record them incorrectly. Without an actual paper trail, there's no record to consult. A hybrid system in which a touchscreen device marks a paper ballot that voters can check over before feeding into a scanning system has emerged as a potential path forward. A report published today looking into voters' use of these machines by researchers from the University of Michigan's Harker School was titled, Can Voters Detect Malicious Manipulation of Ballot Marking Devices? It provided an answer. No. The academics recruited library patrons and set up fake polling stations with real voting machines that simulated conditions quite accurately. They had 241 subjects, most of them native English speakers, with a median and mean age in the early 40s. The report notes... Participants were told they would be taking part in a study about the usability of a new type of voting machine and instructed on how to use the equipment, but they were not alerted that the study concerned security or that the BMDs, the ballot marking devices, might malfunction. But each ballot had at least one intentional error introduced to simulate hacking. Researchers examined several scenarios with no intervention and various signage or pseudo poll workers providing additional guidance. That included statements like, please keep in mind that the paper ballot is the official record of your vote. With no intervention, only 40% of voters checked their ballots and just 6.6% caught an error. With intervention, the results varied from much worse to 100% checking their ballots, but the maximum error reporting rate was still just 16%. If voters were given a printed slate of candidates to vote for and then advised orally afterwards, 40% found errors if told it was an official record, and 85% if asked if they'd reviewed selections. This research shows a lot more work has to be done to design the process so that voters would catch errors. The study included one fun element in subject recruitment. Quote, we also set up a fourth voting machine outside of the mock precinct where kids could vote in an election for mayor of the library's fish tank. The candidates were Mighty Trisha, Anemone Party, Considerate Jarrett, Green Algae Party, and Creepy Bob, no party affiliation. In a footnote, the authors note, Mighty Tricia unexpectedly beat Creepy Bob, leading some Bob supporters to complain that the results were fishy. And that's the election roundup for today. I am your host, Glenn Fleischman. As my good friend and colleague Chris Higgins mentioned on Monday and Tuesday, he's got to step away from the podcast for personal reasons. I'll be the voice in your ears Thursday and Friday of this week, and Chris and I will share next week with me hitting the debate lead-up and aftermath on Tuesday and Wednesday. Then I'll be your full-time commute buddy after that. You can find me on Twitter at Glenn F. That's G-L-E-N-N-F like Frank or at glenf.com, and I look forward to getting to know you all. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back with the latest summary tomorrow. Have a good evening.